Well, good evening, everyone. Welcome. I'm so glad that you're here. I know that this is an- another busy week recovering from a break where you probably got less work done than you meant to and having papers and exams coming up. So I know there's a lot of things pulling you in different directions to spend your time. So thank you for uh, coming and taking this hour to be a part of this community. It's a, it's a real joy to have you. If I haven't met you yet, my name's Lewis Lovett. I'm the campus minister for RUF. I'd love to meet you. Uh, really glad that you guys are here. We're continuing a series this semester called Jesus Gives Us Life, going through the Gospel of John. Because when we think about the expectations we have for life in college, we want this life to mean something. We want it to be a life of purpose, of joy, of fullness, of achievement, of goodness and truth. We, we actually want that. And the claim of the Bible is that in Jesus, in the here and now and reality of your normal life, you actually can have life when you have it in Him. So we've talked this semester about how Jesus gives us a life of joy, a life of worship, a life of forgiveness, a life of hope. And then tonight we're going to look at a story from John 13. Uh, on your hand that it says Jesus gives us a life of service, uh, I changed it about an hour ago. It's now called Jesus gives us a life of power. But uh, it's talking a lot about how Jesus serves us. This is a, a story that if you are familiar with the Gospel of John, you've probably heard before. Jesus has uh, come back into the city of Jerusalem in this really beautiful way. This is the scene where he's riding in on a donkey and people are praising him and throwing their cloaks and palm leaves on the ground. And uh, this night, uh, he is now in this upper room having a meal with his disciples and teaching them. This is the same night that the Last Supper happens. This is the same night in just a few hours from this scene that we're reading tonight when Jesus is going to go out to the Garden of Gethsemane where Judas will betray him, will he be arrested and eventually the next day killed. But this is the story of Jesus washing the feet of his disciples. So if you have your Bible with you, it's also printed on your handout, or you can look at the device. It'd be great for you to have John 13. You've got more that I'm going to read printed for you, which is good because we might talk about it, but I'm just going to read verses 1 through 11 of John 13. So please read along with me. Now, before the feast of the Passover... When Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him, and that is why he said, Not all of you are clean. This is God's word. It's absolutely true, and he gives it to us because he loves us. You pray with me and then we'll get started. Lord Jesus, thank you for the gift of this night. Lord, we are desperate for life in you. 
I pray that you would meet us in front of the demands uh, in the midst of our uh, anxiety, in the midst of our tiredness, in the midst of the pressure that we're under. And then you give us life. Help us to turn to you and to trust you. Holy Spirit, please be at work through your word right now that we might love you more and love each other. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I'm glad that uh, Doug and his wife are here tonight. I grew up going to a summer camp outside of North Carolina called Camp High Rocks, and I worked there as a counselor all through the summer. It is the best job in the world being a camp counselor. I am still at age 33 trying to find a way to go back and work as a camp counselor in the summers. I'm going to figure it out one of these days. I'm going to figure it out. Uh, but I, I worked at this camp for uh, like six years uh, as, a, as a cabin counselor, at end of high school and then all through uh, all except for my the summer after I graduated from college, and so I would live in this you know live in this cabin in the room with me and six boys, yeah, kind of eight to fifteen age range, and I was a canoeing and kayaking and sailing instructor. I'm not very good at either of those things, but I was an instructor in those things, and I, and I really loved that. I love being in the mountains. I love being in the outdoors. I love getting to have an impact in kids' lives. It's just a fun and funny job. The the last year I was on staff there, I got uh, offered the job to be the head counselor. And uh, I was pretty excited about it. The, the head counselor's job is to supervise all the activity staff, to supervise all the cabin staff. I'm, I'm a part of the head staff team, which is pretty important. Sit in all the important meetings, make important decisions, help run stuff. I had influence. I had power. I was in a position of power. And honestly, it felt really good. Felt, it felt good to be an important part of what was going on. It felt good for people to listen to what I said and to do what I asked them to do. It felt good when people had questions that they came to me. It felt good to be in a position of power. Well, uh, we have a, there's a three-week, a four-week, and a two-week session at the camp I was at. And at the beginning of the four-week session, there was a, a kid on like the fourth day of camp who woke up one morning with this uh, terrible stomach flu. I mean, terrible. I mean, nasty terrible. And uh, over the course of the next three weeks, out of 150 kids at this camp, 90 of them, about 90 of them got this stomach flu, as did most of the staff, including myself. And um, when, a, when an adult gets a stomach flu, you wake up in the middle of the night and you feel terrible and you run to the bathroom and you throw up. Okay, that's what you do. When you're a kid and you get the stomach flu, you wake up, you freak out, you don't know where you are, and you throw up all over your bed. Okay. And so I'm the head counselor. I'm the one who takes care of things. I'm the one who has the power, the influence, the impact. And so for the next three weeks straight, for every single morning, I would go to breakfast and I would cringe as counselors walked up to me and they would say, hey, uh, little Jimmy's sick. I need you to come with me. And I would walk with them to the cabin and I would roll up my sleeves and I would fold up their blankets, their pajamas, their pillow and pillowcase, which were saturated with vomit. And I would take them to the laundry and I would wash them, and while I was washing them, I would call their parents, who would freak out and yell at me as if it was my fault that their kids had gotten sick. And then I would go back, and I would take these sheets clean and make their beds again. And I was furious. I'm the head counselor. Don't you know I have more important things to do? I'm in a position of power. Why am I having to do this? This is, this is what a maid should do. This is what a housekeeper should do. I'm supposed to be doing important things like taking pictures for the website and looking cool on my staff t-shirt. I mean, come on. I didn't like that feeling of doing something so lowly. Didn't like that feeling that my power wasn't being utilized to have the kind of impact 
that I wanted to have. The, the story we're going to look at from John 13 is a story about power. And it's about Jesus giving us a radical countercultural reimagination for the way that power is used in the kingdom of God. It's important because uh, each of us has power. Some of you are in legitimate official positions of power. Your RAs or your peer counselors or your pre-O trip leaders or you're on the FYE staff. You're the captain of a team. You're you're an officer in your fraternity or sorority. You have these positions, official positions of leadership, right? Even if you don't have that, we all have power because we all have influence over the people around us in our lives. You have an impact on your friends, on your roommates, on your parents, on your boyfriends and your girlfriends, on the people that you go on rush dates with and meet at parties. You have power all over the place. And so the question is for us, how do we wield the power that we have? What do you want to use it for? If you're like me, when you're in a situation where you realize that you have power over someone else, influence over someone else, leadership over someone else, it feels pretty good. We like what that gives us. It gives us a little prestige. It gives us a little clout, a little respect, a little reputation. Even that feeling that I can make something happen, it feels pretty good, right? The claim of the Bible is that the power that you have is actually good. You're actually meant for power. It's actually a gift from God. But Jesus is going to challenge that that using this power for his purposes in a way that leads to life is actually to use it to serve. Not to build yourself up, not to elevate yourself, but to serve others. So we're going to see two ways that power does this according to Jesus. Jesus and his power does two things. First, Jesus moves down. And secondly, with his power, Jesus draws near. He moves down and he draws near. So first, Jesus moves down. One of the things you notice in the Gospel of John is this downward direction of Jesus. And this is how it starts. I don't know if you remember our first week, but we talked about uh, Jesus, this eternal Son of God, this Word made flesh. And what does this Word do that's up in heaven in glory? It comes down. Down to the earth, down to humanity, down to mortality, down to the dirt. It actually comes down into this world. And, of course, this story ends with Jesus going down to death, down to the grave. Here's what Jesus says in verse 1 of this story. He says this, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So how does Jesus exemplify love? Jesus is a man of power. We know this because Jesus has been displaying his power. He's been raising people from the dead. He's been healing people who are sick. He's been walking on water and calming storms. He's been transforming people's lives with a message of truth and love. He's a person of power, and he's at a table with 12 people who are under his influence, 12 people who follow him, who obey him, who revere him. And after this, after this dinner, he gets out of his seat. He's at the head of the table. He's at the center of the action. And he starts to take off his outer garment. He's literally unwrapping 
the, the robe, the cloak garment that he's wearing. So he's probably shirtless at this point, and he wraps a towel around himself like an apron or a loincloth. And he fills a basin with water, and he gets down on the ground on his knees. He moves from a high position to a low position in order to wield his power to serve. And this is a shocking thing. The disciples, uh, at least at first, are, are speechless. They don't know what's going on. Why is this one who's actually the king? Why is this one who's actually the son of God? Why is this one through whom the heavens and the earth were created? Why is he getting down on the ground? Why is he moving down? Why is he getting so low? He's teaching us that the proper use of power is actually to move down. The proper exercise of power, the proper way to wield power is to leave a high position and to get into a lowly position. Can you imagine what that would look like for you with the power that you have to move down? Can you imagine what it would look like to let other people take credit and succeed for something that you could have done all by yourself? Can you imagine what it would be like to love and care for freshmen when they join your organization instead of just making them do things for you? Can you imagine what it would be like to listen to the needs and the concerns and the desires of the people who are following you instead of imposing your agenda of what you think is best on them? Can you imagine doing that with your power? Can you imagine giving up your high position in order to take a lowly position of service? Can you imagine standing up for a friend or someone you don't know when people tell a nasty story about them or make a crash joke? Here's how Paul describes it in Philippians 2. He says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Consider other people better than you. Moving down does not mean pretending to act humble so that people will recognize you. That's just another way to get power. It means cultivating the kind of heart that loves lowliness, that delights in service, because that's what Jesus is like for you. He moves down. He gets low for you. Jesus uses his power to move down. Secondly, Jesus uses his power to draw near. Jesus has gotten up from his seat. He's partially undressed. He's got a towel wrapped around him like a slave. He's got a basin of water. And now he moves from disciple to disciple on his knees, on his hands and feet, taking their feet in his hands and rinsing them with the water and wiping away with his hands the dirt and the dust and the mud and the stink and then wiping them with the towel until they're dry. I love the the proximity of this moment. I love that when Jesus cares for people, it's not just with words of truth. It's not just with exercises of the Holy Spirit that he actually touches them with his hands. He actually moves towards them. He actually gets up close and personal, even though he has power. It feels really vulnerable to me. 
vulnerable for Jesus. He's down there shirtless at their feet, vulnerable for them. They've got their feet in the hands of another man, not a position that we're in very often, right? And it doesn't say anything in the story about what kind of emotions were happening. It doesn't say anything about the look in Jesus' eye as he looks up at each disciple and speaks their name to them. It's a moment of incredible vulnerability, incredible intimacy. One of the ways that we tend to use our power is to create space, to create separation between us and other people. Vulnerability is a threat to our power because then people will know our weaknesses. Intimacy is a threat to our power because then people will know we actually don't know all the answers. The craziest thing about the story is that one of the people whose feet Jesus washes is Judas. And this passage makes it crystal clear that Jesus already knew what was going to happen. He already knew who was going to betray him. At the end of this passage, we're not going to read this part, Jesus sits back down and he says, one of you will betray me. One of the people whose feet he just washed. A person who was about to abandon him, reject him, and betray him for some money. Would you ever do that? Would you ever draw near to someone who disagrees with you? Or who's disrespected you? Or who's said mean things about you behind your back? Who are the people that you are keeping your distance from? where things are just too awkward, where there's things in your life that just are too inconsistent with each other. The people who've hurt you. Who are you keeping your distance from? Jesus uses his power to draw near to people even when they would have no desire to draw near to him. Even when they would have no ability to draw near to him. Because that's real power. That's unadulterated, raw energy and power. The ability to love and serve and draw near to someone who does not reciprocate. Encountering Jesus like this is super uncomfortable. It's super unnerving. Peter is the one who finally opens his mouth when Jesus comes to him. Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Like I'm a sinner. I'm your servant. I'm your follower, and you're going to wash my feet. That makes no sense. And Jesus says, you don't understand now, but you will. Peter says, no, you'll never wash my feet. And Jesus says, yeah, I have to. If I don't wash you, you have no share in me. You have no part of what I'm doing. And then Peter like overreacts and swings. Well, then dump the water on my head. Wash all of me. Jesus is not actually concerned with how clean your feet are. He's concerned with how clean your heart is. He's concerned with the dirt and the darkness in here. The guilt and the brokenness in here. The weakness and the need in here. It means that following Jesus is not just about believing the correct things about God. It's not just about going to the right religious activities, and it's not just about saying the right answers to questions. Following Jesus requires that we admit our need, that we openly and plainly say to ourselves and to Jesus, I cannot handle it. I'm not strong enough. The weight and the heaviness of the dirt and the guilt and the darkness in me is too much for me to handle, and I need you to make me clean. I need you to wash me. I can't do it on my own. It's a prayer that Jesus delights to answer with a yes. Because he actually draws near to us even when we reject him, 
even when we forget about him, even when we care more about other things than we care about him, he still draws near to us with an invitation to be real, to open our hearts to him. And this is actually a template for how we should relate to others. If you, if you want to have meaningful relationships in college, if you're a freshman and you have a lot of friends, but you wish you had better friends, you wish you had deeper friends, you're like, I know all these people, but I'm not sure who my people are yet. The way that we do that is to be people who can admit their need. Who can, who can say, I actually need help. I actually don't have my life figured out. It's something that you are trained really strongly here at Washington Lee not to do. You're in an academy of competency. You can handle it. Everything's great. I have a ton of friends. Sure, school's a little hard, but I'm going to like work all weekend. It's going to be great. No one has any problems. No one has any needs. No one has any weaknesses. Not that they're willing to show, but of course we all do, right? So if you want meaningful friendships, one of the things you're going to have to learn how to do is to lead the way with your weakness, with your need, with your brokenness. And we pray that you have that experience of someone with enough courage to respond back and say, me too. (laughs) How about we're in this thing together? Verse 15, Jesus is explaining that he's doing this as an example and that they should do it too. And he says that when you do, when you move down and when you draw near, you're actually going to be blessed. That's actually where life is. That's a life of power. That's a life of purpose. It makes no sense to us. But if you want to have a life of power, if you want to have a life of joy, you got to move down and you got to draw near. I really love the movie Kung Fu Panda. As do you, because it's awesome. There's a scene towards, uh, towards the front of the movie where the villain, Tai Long, has escaped from prison. He's, he's this evil Kung Fu person. He's actually a tiger. And, sorry, just clarify. And uh, the Furious Five go after him to stop him. They are the good kung fu heroes of the story, okay? There's, there's, ti- there's Tigress, who's a tigress. There's a crane, like a bird. There's a snake. There's a baboon. And there's a, a mantis, like a praying mantis, like a bug this big, okay? And they're like the five uh, heroes of kung fu. And they come across Tai Long uh, on other sides of this, of this huge chasm, with this big rope bridge in between these huge mountainous cliffs. And so Tai Long uh, runs out, and they cut the bridge, but then it turns out that one of their own tigress is on the bridge, and so the four other of the Fierce Five grab hold of these ropes. It's like 100 meters across, huge chasm. They're holding onto the ropes of the bridge so that tigress doesn't fall while she fights Tai Long, okay? Tai Long, tigress on the bridge fighting, four other heroes holding the bridge with their bare hands. The fight starts to not go too well, and so one at a time... First crane, and then baboon, and then snake. They have to go and help tigress fight. And as each of them leave, eventually it leaves little mantis, who's a bug at two inches long, holding this whole bridge just himself, okay? And you're watching it, and you're like, there's no way. Kung Fu cannot do that. Like, you can sense the strain. It's too much for him. It's too, it requires too much power. He doesn't have enough strength. It's too much. If you are willing to follow Jesus in this downward movement, if you're willing to give up your high positions for low positions so that you might serve other people, if you're willing to draw near to others with vulnerability and trust and honesty, 
it will be too much for you. It will be like holding up a bridge with your bare hands. Because the weight of everyone else's brokenness is just too heavy. And the, the terrible darkness of their brokenness, of their disappointments, of their frustrations, of their failures, of their weaknesses is too much. It's too much for you to carry. And so even that moment turns into a moment of power because a real power turns to Jesus in that moment and says, I, I'm not strong enough to carry this. I'm not strong enough to hold this. I don't have what it takes. I need you. And I'm not a kung fu hero. I'm a broken, dirty, wretched, dark sinner myself, and I need you to make me clean. And the power to do that, the comfort to do that, the strength to walk with other people, to serve other people, to live a radically countercultural life of power, it comes through the downward motion of Jesus himself for you who came down from heaven and who in this story gets down on the ground on his knees to point towards how far down he's willing to go out of his love for you. How far down does Jesus' power extend? It extends to the grave of death. It, is, it descends down into the tomb. He does that all to draw you near to him. Would you pray with me, please? Lord Jesus, thank you for the gift of power that you give us, and thank you for your power, which you have not used to make yourself great, which you have not used to promote your own agenda, but you have laid it down. You have moved down low to serve us, to draw us near to you. Lord, please give us the courage to openly and honestly say to you the truth, that we're not strong enough on our own, that we need you to make us clean, and that we need each other. And I pray that as we do it, we would have experiences of real power, of real impact, of real influence. Because you've used your power to love us and to save us for yourself. Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen.